Good morning. I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And today I'm filling in for our senior pastor, John Schmidt, as he's over at our Pike Road campus uh, today. They're having a special event over there. And so he's over there for that today. And I get the privilege of kicking us off in a new series entitled Smart Life. We're going to be going through the book of Proverbs and taking a look at, at some of the, uh, the principles in the book of uh, Proverbs that a- actually help us have a better and wiser life. And, uh, you know, we live in a society today that has smart everything. You have your smartphone, your smart car, a smart watch. You know, we even have a smart house. I don't have a smart house. I wish I had a smart house. I know some of you do because you brag about it. No, I'm just joking. But, but I'm just joking. But you know what? One thing that's pretty awesome about a smart house is that not only can you control the air conditioner, you can uh, set the... Um, uh, your lighting, turn on your lights, play music. But one of the really cool features about a smart house is that you can actually protect your house. It's a security system. You can guard your house. And today we're going to be talking about guarding our hearts. And to be wise and to have a better life, we can guard our hearts, and that's a really good thing. But before we get started, I want to have a word of prayer. We're going to jump right in to today's message. Father, we just want to come before you today, and Lord, as we talk about living a better life, living a smarter life, Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us today, that you would speak through it, that Lord, that you would um, change us and challenge us. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place right now, Lord, to illuminate our hearts, illuminate our minds, and that Lord God, that you would challenge us and change us from the inside out. And so, Lord, we pray that we be very receptive. So speak through me today. Speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, point A on your outline states that the book of Proverbs says one of the smartest things we can do is guard our hearts. And uh, I know some of you are going, hey, I'm really good at that. I, I'm, I make sure that no one hurts me, that uh, no one gets close to me. I'm extremely guarded. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, having a hard heart or a closed heart. We're actually talking about protecting ourselves where we don't get a hard heart, where we um, protect who we truly are. Listen to what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And if I was going to have you underline anything in this, uh, this scripture, it's above all else. Above all else. And this... Uh, This proverb is saying, listen, this is top priority. This is very important. Guard your heart because it determines who you really are. It determines the course of your life. It affects everything that you do, your heart. So above all else, guard it. Now, I love history. Uh, I was a history major in college. And one of the things I absolutely love to study is the Civil War. And during the Civil War, there was a guy by the name of Joseph Chamberlain. Joseph Chamberlain was a professor from the state of Maine who joined the Union uh, forces and became a commander in 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 the army. And he found himself on the battlefield in the most important battle that probably our our, uh, country has ever had. It was uh, the second day of Gettysburg, which most historians believe was the turning point of the war. Chamberlain was commanded or given orders to go to the far left side of the line, the very, very farthest 
line of the Union forces which stretched over five or six miles long. And that's where he was placed. And he was told to do one thing. Above all else, I want you to guard this hill. He was, these were the orders he was given. You are the far left part of the line. The far left. There's no one to your right. You are, there's no one to your left. You are it. If you fell, we fell. You cannot retreat. You cannot give up. Above all else, guard this hill. Because it could determine the course of this battle. It could determine the course of this war. And it actually did. So they placed him on this, right here, this would be where Chamberlain was. And this would be the Union line, which actually extended five or six miles. And so they placed him here, and what an army would do, and I know some of you are from the War College, so please excuse my ignorance if I get this wrong. But what armies would do, especially in the Civil War, is that their goal was is to flank another army. If you could get on the end of a line, you could get where you could push that line. So if you could get right here and this would break, you could literally completely overrun the enemy. And so he's placed here and the Confederate army comes. It's hot. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon. It's one of the hottest summers that Pennsylvania's ever seen. And wave after attack, wave after wave after wave, the Confederate army begin to charge up that hill. And time after time, Chamberlain and his men would push them back. And then they suffered great losses. Over a third of their men had died in seven attacks from the enemy. And they were getting tired. They were getting worn. But not only that, they were running out of ammunition. They had totally ran out of ammunition. So he calls all of his commanders together. And he says, do we have any more ammunition? And they said, Maybe one round. Not enough to hold them. If they come again, we will lose. And his commanders and his officers begin to tell him, we must retreat. We must retreat. And Chamberlain said, we cannot retreat. For if we retreat, we'll lose this battle. If we lose this battle, we could lose the war. And so he did something amazing. He took his sword out and he told his commanders to begin to put bayonets on the rifle, little swords that go on the end of a rifle. And as the Confederate army came up that hill for one last time, they began to charge them. They ran down that hill. In fact, here's a kind of a cool picture of it. They began to run down the hill. And they captured like 110 of the Confederate armies and they saved the day because they would not give up. He was told above all else, Guard this hill, for it can determine the course of this whole war. Well, God's word says, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. And we need to guard our hearts as vigilant as Chamberlain did. We need to guard our hearts. What is your heart? Your heart's the center of a person's hidden emotional, intellectual, and moral activity. Your heart is the real you. It's the part that only you and, know, you and God really know about. It's your secret thoughts, your secret actions. It's how you feel about things that no one else knows about. That's your heart. 
And out of your heart comes your dreams and your passions. It also comes your good deeds and your works. All focused and are centered on who you really are, your heart. And one of the reasons it's important to guard our hearts is because our hearts are actually the part of us that please God. When Samuel was told to go and choose a new king after Saul had, had lost the right to be king of Israel, he had disobeyed God, he, God had told uh, Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and that he would find the new king there. And so he walks into the room and walks to his house and all of a sudden uh, Jesse's oldest son comes out and he looks at him and in his mind Samuel goes, that's the king, that's the new king of Israel. He's tall, he's handsome, he's strong, he's a great looking king. And this is what God said to him. He said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. That's what pleases him. It's the part of us that we really are. Now I want you to understand something this morning. Just like there was a battle for this country during the Civil War, there's a battle for your heart. There's a war that's going on and you are the prize. You are the hill. Your heart is that hill. But the enemy wants nothing more than to damage your heart. And God wants nothing more than to give you a rich and satisfying life. Listen to a note on your outline. Is that we have a real and dangerous enemy who wants to destroy our hearts. John 10.10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus talking says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The enemy wants to steal and to kill and destroy. Well, what does he want to kill, steal, and destroy? The rich and satisfying life that Jesus died for you to have. He wants you to have a rich and satisfying and purposeful life. And that's all determined by the battle that goes over your heart. There's a war. And there are things the enemy uses to damage our heart to control our hearts, to make us not live the life that God wants us to live. It might be anger. It might be greed. It might be lust. It might be rejection. But the enemy will use whatever means possible to get you off track. To get you off track. Listen, if he can't keep you from going to heaven because of your faith in Jesus then the next best thing that he can do is cause you to be ineffective for Jesus. Amen? That's his purpose. He doesn't want you to have a rich and purposeful life. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's a note on your outline. The best way to guard our hearts is to align them with God's heart. That's what the battle's over. See, rich and satisfying life comes from one thing. It comes from aligning our hearts with God. 
How many of you in this room would agree with me that God's ways are better than our ways? Anybody? Okay. We all agree with that. How many of us struggle doing things God's way? You see there's a battle that's going on? See, God wants us to align our hearts with Him. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Your mind, your inner thoughts, who you are, your heart. Listen, if we let our sinful nature control our mind, what does it lead to? Death. If we let the Holy Spirit guard our minds, what does that bring? Life and peace. How many would you say life and peace is better than death? (laughs) Amen? I would agree too. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, the enemy will use whatever tactics possible. He'll use your own sinful nature. You know, we have a sinful nature. We have evil desires that lurk within us, okay? He'll use those against us. He'll also use lies. He's a father of lies. He'll tell you you're not good enough. He'll tell you that you don't know enough. He'll tell us that, uh, that we're rejected, that no one likes us, that God doesn't like us, that we're not good enough for God. That we really, really have to have this certain thing, this new car. You've got to have the new car or you'll never be satisfied. Hey, that secretary that looks hot, if you don't have her, you won't know what a real life is about. See, he'll lie to us. He doesn't care what he uses, but he wants to destroy and damage our hearts so that we're not effective for his kingdom. John eight forty four talks about him lying it says you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out the father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding the tr- uh, holding to the truth for there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies how many of you have ever felt like the devil has ever lied to you some uh, yeah yeah i'm telling you he lies to us he does He lies. He's real. He's not make-believe. This isn't just a bunch of fairy tales. Jesus talks about the devil as he's a real being. And he really wants us not to live for God. He really wants us not to be effective for his kingdom. There's three ways that we can guard our hearts. Okay, Number one is we can plan. These are not on your outline. I should have put these on your outline, uh, but these are not on your outline. So I do want you to write these down. Because these are ways that we can guard our heart. Number one is we can plan. One of the ways that you plan, uh, if, if I'm going to take, I'm going to use a sport analogy since we're in Alabama. I'm going uh, to use the University of Alabama. No, no, I don't have a dog in the fight, so just hear this. But if the University of Alabama, if Nick Saban is making a plan to defend the, touch, the end zone, what does he do? Number one, he's got to know his opponent's tactics, right? He does. And when he's playing against Ole Miss or Texas A&M, I'm an A&M fan, he's as good as anybody else of finding out what are their strengths. What are their strengths? You know the other thing he knows? He also knows the weaknesses of his own team, of his own defense. And he makes sure that he plays to his strengths, not to his weaknesses. 
part of what we're doing today is we're coming up with a game plan. I want to help you have a game plan so that you can stand strong. So that above all else, you guard your heart. When you recognize and you realize that you really have an enemy, that he really lies to you, that he really uses your own desires. Listen, each of us have different desires. Some of us struggle with lying. Some of us struggle with self-worth. Some of us struggle with lust. Some of us struggle with being envious of other people. All of us have different weaknesses, but if you understand your weaknesses, then you're able to get help. And that's the second part of how we do that, is we call for help. Part of your guarding your heart is saying, listen, I am, I'm, I'm struggling here. I need help. I used to uh, play basketball when I was in high school, and, and uh, one of the things that they taught us to do when we were defending the goal, okay, is if I got beat and a guy got past me, if I didn't communicate with my teammates and say, help, 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 I would get in trouble when I got to the bench because we were always supposed to be helping one another. And I want you to understand, when you're struggling with issues in your life, issues of the heart, you need to call out for help. That's why connect groups are so important here at Center Point. It offers you the opportunity to find someone that you can confide in. It might not be the whole connect group. It might probably shouldn't be. But you know what? You can find that one or two people in your life that you can say, this is where I struggle. I really struggle with my anger. I really struggle with significance. And I need your help. So calling out for help from others, calling out for help from God. God is a very present help in time of trouble. He knows you're struggling. Call out to him. He'll rescue you. Here's another way we can do it. Is that we, it's through diligence. Okay? As, as uh, Joseph Chamberlain did, it's like, I am not giving up. It looks like all is lost. It looks like there's no way out, but I'm going to stand. Matter of fact, the word of God says, uh, 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 the apostle Paul put it this way, after doing all to stand, stand. It's, I'm not giving up. I want to talk about five areas in, in, in our lives, or been in my life anyway, that I want to, there's, there's tons of areas that we need to guard our heart from. But I want to give you five specific areas that I think would be helpful for all of us to guard our hearts, okay? In areas that we should guard our hearts. Number one is, yeah, sorry, number one is from pride. Pride. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. Now, what am I talking about pride? I'm talking about arrogance. I'm talking about that part of you that makes you think that you're better than everyone else. See that person in the grocery store, see their kids? My kids don't act like that. Is she really wearing that? Man, I would never hang out with them. that part of you that rises up and says I'm better than everyone else that's pride it's sin and we need to guard our hearts from it listen we can't help the fact that there are times in our life that we have that rise up in us but we can do something about it one of the things that my parents taught me to do is that when pride begins to rise up in me for 
of feeling that way is to always thank God because when I thank God, I remind, it reminds me that God has given me all of my abilities, all of my talents, all of my good looks. <laughs> when I thank God. It's the antidote. Matter of fact, when I was in eighth grade, uh, my parents, my mom loves to tell this story because when I was in eighth grade, I was a typical eighth grader. I was kind of uh, cocky. And my mom and dad used to say, they used to tell me I used to strut like a, a rooster, you know, kind of just up on my toes, you know. I just, everything was going for me in the eighth grade, okay? Had a cute girlfriend that was a cheerleader. I played on the basketball team, was doing really good. I had really good grades. And I just felt good about myself. And my parents told me that it made them sick. Just absolutely made them sick. And um, I'll never forget that in about a month period of time, my world came crashing down. Um, I had uh, forgotten to turn in a paper in my English class. And so when my six weeks grades came out, I had a 67 in English. And it was the first year that in Texas they had passed a rule called the no pass, no play rule. So if I didn't pass my English grade, I didn't get to play basketball, so I had to sit on the bench. Ouch. That same month, my parents took me to a circus. And I thought I was too good to go to a circus. That was for little kids. So I'm sitting at the circus, watching everything, just kind of ho-hum. And about that time, everybody around me begins to laugh. And they just start laughing. So I look around. I just start laughing with them. <laughs> this is great. I have no idea why I'm laughing. So my parents let this go on for about two minutes. And I still can't figure out what's laughing. I'm just kind of strutting, looking around. And finally, my mom taps me on the shoulder and says, um, Tommy, put your hand on your head. And as I reached up there, I felt something strange. What happened was the small kid behind me had gotten a, some cotton candy and he was so enjoying the show that the cotton candy slid off the stick and perfect coned on my head. And I'm strutting around. And my parents are loving every moment of it. See, God's got a way of humbling us. He does. He doesn't like pride. Matter of fact, it was the downfall of Lucifer, the devil. We need to guard our hearts against pride. Listen to what Philippians 2.3 says. It's our life application for this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. If you feel pride rise up in your, in, in your heart, not only should you thank God for everything he's given you, but you ought to help someone else. You ought to find someone else in need and you ought to go meet their needs. Put them above yourself. It's a way that you can guard your heart against pride. Here's something else we need to guard our hearts from. And that's easily being offended. Ouch. Easily being offended. Said a person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. We're all, let me, let me say this right now. We are all at times going to get offended. Offenses are like arrows. Someone shoots at us. 
Can I tell you, every once in a while, you get an arrow that sticks straight in your heart. Someone didn't include you in something. Someone said something very ugly about you. Someone said something pretty ugly about your kids. And you can take offense really easy. But can I tell you, you have a choice. You can't control other people's actions, but you can control your response. We can control our response. I can take that arrow out. I can quickly forgive. I can quickly let go of that offense. Because if I don't let go of that offense, it will cause bitterness. It will cause anger. It will cause rage. It will cause murderous thoughts. And can I tell you, that's not the rich and satisfying life that God's called us to live. And all of that offense never hurts the other person. It only hurts you. John puts it this way. It's kind of like drinking a cup of poison, thinking that it's actually going to hurt the other person. But in all the meanwhile, it's hurting you. Here's a life application for us. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember I said earlier that the number one way that, that we can guard our hearts is aligning them with God's heart? This is God's heart. Make allowances for others' faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember who? The Lord forgave us. That's how we can guard our hearts from offense. Another way, something we need to guard our hearts from is being a people pleaser. Being a people pleaser. For the man's will proves to be, for fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Here's how Paul put it. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I ask us a question today. Are we more concerned about what others think of us? Or are we more concerned about what God thinks about us? Do we listen more to God's direction for our lives or do we listen more to other people's directions for our lives? Anytime that we value other people, especially people that we esteem in in position or esteem to uh, bring significance to our lives, anytime we esteem them over God, we become people pleasers. And we have to guard our hearts against it. You have to guard your heart against that. Because if you don't, if, you, if you're always constantly worried what someone else thinks, it keeps you from following God. It keeps you from living the life that God has called you to live. Because in your mind, you're living for the appro- a- a- approval and the praises of other people. Stop. He's the one that we need to please. He's the one that we need approval from. Follow him. This is a snare. Listen to the life application. Fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him. Please him. And love him and serve him with all of your heart and soul. The antidote for the fear of man is the fear of God. When I trust and I respect God more than I do others in my life, 
I can live the life that God has intended me to live in the very most center part of who I am. Another thing we need to guard our heart from is lust. From lust. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Lust is an enemy of love. Lust is all about what someone else can do for you. And she's hot. Makes me feel good when I look at her. Man, he, he's something. He is so kind. And when he talks to me, my heart just melts. Love, on the other hand, says this. How can I please you? How can I put your needs above mine? Listen, we can't always control what we see. I mean, just be on the internet and look at Yahoo or any news source. There's all kinds of temptations to click on things that we shouldn't click on or look at. See, we don't always control what comes in front of our eyes, but we sure can do something about it. Do you have a plan? You need to call help? You need to fight to the end? Sometimes when it comes to lust, which is a big issue in our society today. We think, oh, you know what, Tommy, why are you talking about this? That, that's, just, that's just natural. You're right, it is natural. But God hasn't called you to live a natural life. He's called you to live a supernatural life. That's what a real satisfying and rich life looks like. So if you struggle in this area, make a plan. The plan might be that I have a filter. On my computer. Get help. Get accountability. And determine in your heart that every time you feel lust come up, that you're going to fight it, that you see it as an enemy of your heart. See, we need to have just as much diligence as Joseph Chamberlain had when that enemy was coming up those hills. When the Confederate army was coming up that hill, it's like, thus far and no more. I'm standing my ground. I'm not going to let this overrun me. I'm not going to let this overtake me. We need to fight to the end. Listen to what 2 Timothy says. He puts it this way. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Run! Find accountability. Fight. Sure, the last thing I think that we need to guard our hearts from, and that's thinking we don't need God's help. Thinking we don't need God's help. Proverbs 28, 26 says, For those who trust in their own insight are foolish, But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Anytime we say in our hearts, I don't, I I can figure this out myself. I don't need God's help. I got this. When we do that, we're going to miss out on the best for our life. Because I'm going to ask you this question again. How many of you believe that God knows what's best for your life? 
How many of you make decisions on your own all the time? See where the battle is? This is the battle. Get in God's word. Pray. Ask God for his opinion on everything. Align your heart up with God's. Life application. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. If I can sum up everything that I think scripture and how we ought to live our life. It's this one scripture. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. His path is better than my path. His ways are better than our ways. And I say all this this morning to say this. My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. That's the reason why we're preaching this today. And we're talking about this day. The book of Proverbs says, if we want a rich and satisfying life, a better life, a smartphone is better than an old rotary phone. All agree? Only thing I can do with that rotary phone is, is talk. This thing, I can not only talk, but I can take pictures, send videos, emails. I, it's my flashlight. It's my calculator. It's all of those things. It's better. If we want a better life, we need to guard our hearts. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of our lives. Will you pray with me? Father, we just want to come before you, Lord, this morning. And Father, I just ask that, uh, Lord, as we talk about this today, Lord, I pray that you would truly um, help us. Lord, one of the things that we said about garden hearts is that we need help. Well, Lord, the first help that we come to is to you. Lord, there's errors in our lives, Lord, God, that some of us, have we've let our guards down and things have come in. We, we do get easily offended. We do let pride rise up. We, we do lust after things and people that we shouldn't. And Lord, that's already in our hearts. Lord, we ask you for help. Lord, we ask you to show us who we can get accountability from. Lord, we ask that you put a tenacity within us, Lord God, to root out those things. Lord, not because it's a heaven or hell issue, but Lord, because it's a living, a rich and satisfying life issue. Lord, I pray that for your help. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.